Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom, back with another reflection, and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, the Pareto, the Pareto Principle, named after economist Vilfredo Pareto, specifies that 80% of consequences come from 20% of the causes, asserting an unequal relationship between inputs and outputs. This principle serves as a generic general reminder that the relationship between inputs and outputs is not balanced. The Pareto principle is also known as the Pareto rule or the 80-20 rule. So the Pareto principle, that is my starting point. I don't know if I'll end there, but I'm going to start here. And it is a, a principle that I actually have a personal relationship with because it's, um, if it's up, if it were up to me, I would have said I came up with it um, because when I was running my school, I learned early on that there's this relationship between to uh, start my reflection by talking about that. And, uh, and uh, I just did a reflection today. So today, I'm struggling with my words. Bear with me. Um, this today, the recording that you're listening to right now is my second recording for the day. My first recording for the day was named Posthumous Jambalaya. And the per- my person that had been fighting cancer finally succumbed to it. It took her life a few days ago. And dealing in the aftermath of that is bigger than one reflection. But earlier today, I started the reflection of what that was, of what that was like to be a part of that transition, to witness it rather, and to now deal with the aftermath of that And so go check out that uh, reflection. I don't do back-to-back reflections many. Often I usually do back-to-back at the the end of the season. But it's rare that I do a back-to-back reflection at the start of a season. So this is the third episode for season eight that was just started this week. And and that's just because this is a monumental event. Uh, My person is a significant person for me. And so... um, it makes sense. It just makes sense. So anyway, I have to make some decisions. Um, and I'm afraid I'm not going to make the right decision. But even if I don't make the right decision, I need to talk about it. Whether I apply the... De- whether And I think the right decision is located in the Pareto rule. The Pareto principle. I think the right decision is located in that principle. I don't know if I'm going to to do it. And it may be at the end of this reflection, I might discover that the answer is not connected to the Pareto rule. But that is my starting point, okay? Hey, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. 
The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing social scientist and educator of about 30 years, half of that time, has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual um, sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, just to name a few. This project is unedited and it is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Okay, so I'm a little tired just because I did a reflection already today. It was 90 minutes. It was I went over 90 minutes. So I I don't know how that ending of that reflection went because the system could have cut, cut me off, but it did upload. And, um, I, and somebody has already down started it. So I don't know. I got to go in. This is the first time I went over 90 minutes. And so I did. I didn't do a closing. I didn't do an assignment. I, don't, I think the last few episodes I haven't been able to do assignment. So hopefully I can do that today and get back and get back into the rhythm of things. I know it's going to be, you know, the world has now changed. It's tilted. It's not on its normal axis. And so I know I have to go about and learn how to live in a new world and uh, I felt that significantly when my grandmother died when my dad died it was a major loss it didn't feel like uh, the world changed I had a different relationship to what it means to live I think um, but I, but it, the world didn't change fundamentally for me as it did when my my grandmother passed. And I am suspecting that my person being who she was to me, I believe I'm now in a new world. And there's going to be a lot of calibrating that I'll need to do based on who I have become in the world, who I want to be. And I'm going to have to calibrate because now I'm in a new world. And... Um, so we'll, I don't know. I don't. I never know what se- the seasons are going to be about. But if I were going to guess anything, I think that this season is going to be about a lot of calibrating. All the things that I thought I knew about myself, it's going to be like, I'm going to have to confront this thing that you thought about yourself. Is it real? Does it transfer over into the new world? And um, so we'll see. We will see. But today, um, in this this particular episode, what I want to do is uh, confront a decision that I have to make. And I want to do it out loud. So even if I don't make the right decision, I want to record it. I want to record me processing it so that I can come back later and think about why didn't you make the right decision? And maybe I will make the right decision. I don't know. So let me get to it. My sister and I are kind of going through this together. And so we are the uh, two people who are responsible for closing out our person's affair, her affairs. And, you know, there's a first there was the we were contending with her health. You know, helping trying to help her fight the cancer. And then we had to contend with her dying her physical death and 
be with her as the, in the breaking down of the body and all of the implications of that and it was very very painful it was just painful and one day I'll have to talk about that what it was like to be at the bedside and to watch that and to be the person you know managing the medicines helping to situate her body I didn't I didn't wash her body I didn't my sister did that um but that was probably the only thing I haven't done so now we are doing a funeral we are planning the funeral and um that's unfortunately it's not the first one but it's the first one where we've had so much involvement and so um So that's what we're doing. (laughs) And so my sister has said maybe four times now, maybe five, that she wants me to come home with her. That after the funeral, she wants me to come home from her. You know, my sister lives in a different region because there are two times a year at least that I travel. And I would say I'm... I did a road trip. I'm with my sister. I'm in my sister's home. I'm in my sister's town. And it is a town. It is a place I wanted to move to. It's not my first place. And it's, you know, but because it's my sister and my nieces are there, I'm like, I wanted to make peace with. Okay. The place is not as. In my mind, this place, it's in the south. It's not as progressive. I'm in the north, supposedly. I'm like in the Midwest North. Theoretically, you would think we were more progressive where I live now, but I'm coming to terms in the last few months. The part of the problem of me, why I struggle with being here, is because this is not progressive. and Or it is progressive for some people and not for others. So it is making, it's challenging me to think, Literally, in the last few weeks, I, 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 um, I was confronted with something. Somebody was just like, this town is not progressive. You think it is, on the sur- but it's not. On the surface, it is. But it has like this covert conservatism going on. And I think that's why I've always tried to leave it, because I'm more progressive in my thinking. I'm not ultra-progressive. That's why I can listen to um, conservative talk radio because I do have some conservative views, you know, and I would say I'm moderate. But if I'm honest, I'm on the progressive side. I'm more on the left side of moderate, you know, but at any rate, um, I've been spending the past five years getting back on my feet was never my intention to get to be to come back home because where I'm at now is home that's where I was born and raised and I've left several times and until I came back five years ago I was gone for 10 years the longest I stayed away now I had do I had a duality or what do you call it dual regional living bi-regional living where I set it up. So I never really technically 
gave up my home base. But strategically, I set it up where I traveled extensively for the past 10 years. That's a better way of saying it. And honestly, that's where I'd like to continue. I'd love to continue to, well, that's not true. For a long time, I wanted to continue that. That I wanted to say that this is home base. But just because this is home base doesn't mean I have to live here around the clock, you know. But to travel, to have two homes, if you will, it's expensive. And I couldn't dare think about that when I couldn't even take care of myself. And so I'm not going to rehash that. You guys have heard me talk about that to at nauseum, if you will. But that's the truth. Like I've been spending the past five years focused on how to get on my feet. Well, getting on my getting on your feet has a has a structural dimension to it. Eating, food, clothing, and shelter is very physical. What physical space are you going to be in to do that? And so that situationally put me here because this is just where I was. Now I could have gotten on my feet where my sister lives. And I, there was a part of me that wanted to do that. But I, my credentials to make money uh, aren't completely transferable because as an educator, education is a state entity. The state governs what it means to be an educator, how to qualify to be an educator with the, my licensing. And I fought really hard to be licensed in two other states, but the state that my sister lives in, I wasn't going to be able to just go there as an educator. I was going to have to take some tests. And for me, that didn't feel right to have to go back to school to do something I had been doing for so long. Because I have other things to do with my time. I did not want to spend my time studying for a test so I can get credentialed to work in that state. So that's one of the reasons why I'm like, and I was going to delay getting on my feet. I needed to make some quick money. I needed to get a job and blah, blah, blah. So that's what I did. And so that that put me here. And then with the illness, you know, with my, my dad going, I didn't feel comfortable leaving my person. It was hard. That was a very, very hard decision because the hard part about it is that I didn't have the kind of intimate relationship with my person I wanted to be family to be considered so oftentimes I didn't talk to her we you know so I was it was like I was staying behind to be in a city with her and we didn't have a, we didn't have a relationship like that where we were spending time together and we did but not uh, we the amount of time I spent with my person I could have done that living in another state because I'm like, okay, I'm coming home. Let's hang out. Hey, you're going to come here? You know, I, I don't think I spent more time with her because I was in the city with her. I don't think. if if Maybe a little more, but not, not significantly. Just like for major holidays, I didn't have to travel home. I was here. Um, but I want to say that the last year, as she, as she was fighting this illness, I spent more time with her in this past year than I have. Probably in a lifetime. And so in some regards, that's a celebration. I can celebrate that, that I had that time with her. 
it was the first time in forever that my sister, the three of us, spend time together. We just have never had that. It was either, you know, the, the way the relationships that we had with her was polarizing. My relationship with her was separated, separate from my sister's relationship with her. We never had a joint relationship with our person until this past year. And so there was towards the end, I would say, since in, um, Thanksgiving was the very first time that the three of us stayed in a house together for several days. It was really nice since we were kids, since I was a kid. And so, um, that was, yeah, it was a, that was, I, I, I'm going to be forever grateful for that because we had that time together in this, in a way that we just never had and was healthy. Like it was, it was just healthier. And so I'm very thankful for that. And so we had Thanksgiving. There was some time, um, well, not Christmas time because my sister, my nieces were here. So we, but there was two, then it was, it was five of us. And so first it was the three of us at Thanksgiving. It was five of us at Christmas. And then during the final, the final six weeks of her life, uh, my sister came here often. And then we had times where it was the three of us, you know. And I, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very, very grateful that we had that time together. And so... Anyway, I wasn't going to be able to leave her. And now I don't have a job that's holding me back here. I don't have a job. Now I have, I'm working, but I'm doing contract work. Um, so I'm not, I'm not under a contract work like uh, an ed- educator's when we get typical educator, typical work for education is you're under a 10 month contract at least. And that you're bound in that contract. And to break that contract, they will charge you. And so I have never, um, I have broken a contract once. It was hard. It's a hard thing to do to walk away from kids. And I did that 20 years ago, 20, more than 20 years ago. And it was something I never would want to do again. I also walked away from another contract, but it was towards the end of the year, and um, it was a nego- we negotiated out of that um, because the the organiz- organization wanted me to function in a way that I was not going to function, and uh, they were going. And I had in my contract language that if they wanted me to walk away, they were going to pay me to walk away. And uh, so there was that. So I got, you know, um, I was not going to do what they asked me to do. And that's because what they were asking me to do was unethical, in my opinion. And I wasn't going to allow them to vilify me to 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 try to uh, what they were going to try to do is they were going to try to uh, accuse me of something I didn't do just to be able to break the agreement. So they weren't going to just be able to have me leave just because I didn't want to do the thing that I did that I said was unethical. They weren't going to be able to just, they were going to have to pay me to go. They didn't want to do so. Then they were going to try to find something legitimate to make me break my contract just so they didn't have to pay me. And we weren't going to do that. 
I said, hey, so I went and got an attorney. I think I've talked to you guys about this. And my attorney was like, so if do you just want her to leave? Oh, you want her to leave and you don't want to have to pay that agreement. Well, she's willing to meet you in the middle. And, um, and, uh, and so I left that. And I got paid, but I didn't keep, I didn't get paid the original amount. So it's fine. It's fine. That's business. I'm learning. I've, you, you play at a certain level. That's what it means to play at a certain level. So it is what it is. I'm glad I had that experience. And then I broke a contract just recently, but it wasn't in the middle of the school year. And this is what I don't like about how schools are funk. I get it though. I understand. I don't like it, but I get it. They need to be able to plan for the next school year. And so in April or May, they give you a contract for the next school year that begins in September, August or September. That's four months out. So even if you think you're not going to come back, if you don't have that next thing lined up for self-preservation, you sign the contract. And then if another job comes up between then and August, then you have to break the contract and then they charge you $2,000. Now, sometimes they don't charge you, but I was charged $2,000. And so I paid it. And um, so I'm not under a contract like that. I'm not under a contract. And I want to tell you, like I said in the first audio for today, I have not turned off any of my indicators because of uh, the aftermath of my person's passing. There's a lot of activity. And so I have to keep my phone on just in case my sister calls me. So I want to let you guys know that you will hear that. Okay. Um, so I don't have a, I don't have a contract, a 10 month contract holding me here. The contracts that I have are either daily or weekly. I was doing multiple week contracts and I've decided that that's not a good way to move forward right now. Uh, I don't need to be locked into multiple weeks right now to do to doing what I'm doing. Not at the left. I'm well, I shouldn't say that I will do a multi week contract, but it wouldn't be a contract that would dictate my physical body. So I can be on a multi-week, multi-month contract to do something conceptual. So I can do, I can do any conceptual work remotely, but if the work requires for my body to be somewhere, my body will not be under contract for months right now. My mind can be under contract for months, but not my body. I don't know if you guys understand that distinction. So I need to be able to move about freely. And if the work you want me to do under an extended period of time, you want me to do some work in an extended contract, I'm willing to do that. But you, it does not regulate physically how I roll out that work. Not 80% of the work, I have physical autonomy. 20%, I don't. So anyway, that's, that's relevant here. So there's not, so my person is gone. Um, I have other family members that are here, but not, they don't need, well, they would say that they need me, but they don't need me in the way that my person needed me. I don't have a job that's holding me here. I don't have a relationship that's holding me here. My friends that I have here are important. That's a big, that is a deal. Like, and 
But these aren't friends that I have a daily relationship with. Most of my friends that I have now, I have a monthly relationship with them. Like, we're going to get together. Let's get together. And I talked about this. That's sufficient for me. As an INTJ8, um, and it's worked. Now, I would like to have more of a, a weekly relationship with some of my friends. I don't know if the friends that I have now, but I would like to have a friend that has a, re- a weekly relationship. And I actually would like to have a relationship with somebody that has where we connect multiple times a week. I don't need that a lot, but I would like to have that. So would that be a romantic relationship? Possibly. I would love that. But most romantic relationships require a daily connection. <laughs> and so you guys know I've been following the solo community and me being um, a solo-ish. So even if I, when I get into another romantic relationship, I want to go into that relationship as a solo person because I want to hold on to a lot I want to hold on to my solitude I want to preserve some alone time so best case scenario when I get into my next relationship the way I want it I'm going to see them several times a week but I don't need to see them every day <laughs> I don't so so I don't have that structure holding me back so when my sister says I want you to come home I want you to come home with me that's possible it's nothing holding me back. I do pay rent. I'm not, I don't even have a home. I'm not even a homeowner right now. I was a homeowner, but that's one, that's one of the line of the, I have two things I have yet to do to feel like I'm back on my feet. One is to get that business fully operating. It's not fully operating where I'm living off of it. It's my full-time revenue income. It's not, I don't have that yet. It's coming though. And to be a homeowner. Those are the final two things I would have to be to restore what I lost. Because when I went, I'm going to restore what I lost. So right now I'm renting and I don't pay little for rent. So that would be the only thing. So I would go to where my sister is and I would probably, you know, I would continue to work and I would send back money to pay to cover my my house so I wouldn't move I wouldn't be I'm not moving I'm not moving with my sister I'm just going to go away for a few months so it sounds very appealing and it's a place where I like to I love to hang out there um I do think that that place is more progressive than I gave it credit for I started to realize that I feel that I've been talking in the last year about building the life of my dreams. You know, I've been talking about design living. And part of design living for me is social. I cannot, I'm having a hard time building the social life that I want in the city that I'm in. Because the city is more conservative than I am. And there's a racial component that I both love and I don't like. So where I live now, I have white friends. I'm a black woman. I like diversity. I have white friends. I'm actually, I have other ethnic friend uh, groups that I'm, I have. When you go to the South, it's more segregated. Yet the town I live in is hyper segregated. But I'm not restricted. It's segregated by neighborhoods. So I'm mobile. And my occupation has given me access to people of different backgrounds. But when I go to the South, 
segregation is not just a geographical separation. There's an ideological separation. There's a political separation. So one thing I will say about my sister, we're very similar. My sister also has diverse friends as well. So I know that it's possible. But my friends, my other friends from the South, they they are amazed. When, <laughs> you know, they don't understand. They, they don't relate to the diversity of friends that I have. They just don't relate to that. That's fine. Um... So I don't want to lose that. It's important for me to have diverse friends. So that's why I have not wanted to move back. And if you live in the South and you listen to me and and you think I'm mischaracterizing your region, heaven forbid, let me know. But how I've experienced the South and the states that I've been in, that's what it's been like. And I've been in two states in, in the South. So it's my experience. So, So I don't want to... that. That whole idea of design, living, building the life that I want, on one hand, it sounds so freaking appealing to say, oh, I'm going to, let's start over. There's nothing holding me back. Let's start over. But I don't want to start over at ground and, and, and build a new ground zero. I've been talking to you about my ground zero, my docking station. And could I build a new docking station? I could, and that's what I'm going to be processing. I could. I could build another ground zero. I just started building my ground zero in a way that allows me to have the kind of lifestyle that I want. But I'm not sure that that's a good use of my time and energy. Because I've already built the foundation here. So now I'm ready to build upon the ground zero. If I move, I'm going to have to start over and build a different ground zero, a different docking station. That's a decision I have to make. So I'm leaning towards no. I'm I'm not, but it's not a hell no. It's a no, but it's not a hell no. And what I mean by this is I'm not feeling inclined to move to a different state right now. But I do want to keep an open mind about it because if at the end of the day if the design living that I want requires me to move I want to have an open enough mind to to consider that I don't want to stay back just because I'm trying to create ease because creating ease can ultimately create dis-ease and I don't want to intentionally create disease do you understand what I'm saying so so it's not a hell no but it's a no So that's easier. And then it gives me time to think. Because I don't know what I don't know. So going down there for a few months would be a really good getaway. A good getaway to to really think about my ground zero. Is the ground zero in my hometown the best ground zero to have? That's number question number one. To build a new ground zero, is it going to be that laborious? Because I already built one. Is it? Maybe it's transferable. And maybe it won't take much at all for me to build that ground zero in a new region. Maybe the ground zero that I built in my hometown still will be my ground zero. And me in another state is not building a new ground zero. It's just building upon the ground zero that I have in the hometown. So that's the third question. 
these are the questions that I'm, I'm that are I'm continuing with, and for the most part, they feel easy. That's structural. It's structural. It's about being. It's about strategy. It's it's. It, I don't feel. I don't feel overwhelmed with that question. Here's the question. This is the part I'm I'm struggling with. If you listen to the last episode I did today, I'm talked and I've been talking about it for the past two years. The relationship that I have with my sister is changing. It's been changing over the past three years, actually. And being true in Idom, I saw a peek into it five years ago. I saw a flash. I was like, oh, there was something I saw on my sister five years ago. It was a moment. And I said, oh, that's something. And because of the implications of what I saw were so significant, so consequential, that I chose to ignore it. I wanted to believe that it was just a fluke. It was a wrinkle in time. Like, oh, that thing you just saw, that was just something. That was a fluke. And it's not. And it is, it is actually blossoming. The thing that I saw five years ago, it's blossoming to the point where you, it is now part of our conversation about things being different. And if you listen to the episode I recorded earlier today, I talked about my sister coming up with several theories about the thing that's changed. She's now, because it is now something, she's theorizing it. She's coming up with a theory to explain the difference. But she's not consistent with her theory. So she's trying out different theories about that would explain why we are not what we used to be. And wanting to hold on to this notion that we're so we're close. And I'd love to hold on to that as well. But I'm a realist. And if we're not close, let's just be honest about it. And then we're going to celebrate what we have. And one of the things I'm very afraid of, I don't want to perseverate on that relationship. The way I have been perseverating on my relationship with my person for the last year. See, I know why I perseverated on that. Because there were things I had to uncover and to confront about that relationship that were, that things that were critical. It was a, it was an awareness I had to have in order for me to grow and to blossom. I had to confront some things. Do I need to do that with my sister as well? Part of me says yes. But a bigger part of me says I don't want to. I want to be mature enough to be like, it is what it is. We don't have to process. I don't need to unlayer it. I already, I know what it is. And maybe, maybe I haven't said it. I know I haven't said it in this podcast because I don't want to say it. But I haven't said it to myself. I don't want to say it. And I want to believe that I don't have to. That I'm solid enough to be able to accept it is what it is. Without having to perseverate on it. I want to just. You know it's like. I don't know. I'm going to come up with a metaphor that I'm. Probably a horrible metaphor but. When you think about Alaska, it's cold. That's what I think about Alaska. I've never been to Alaska, but from my understanding, it's cold. If I'm going to move to Alaska, I, I'm moving there fully understanding that it's cold. 
I'm not going to go to Alaska and then start processing all the time why it's cold like that. That doesn't make sense to me. I want to be at a place where I just accept things as they are. I don't need to process it. One of the things I am going to have to do is get to a place of acceptance. Like I do need to take a moment and just say, this is what it is. And one of the reasons why that there's been a delay in being able to accept it, things as they are is because my sister and I have been dancing in this reality um We've been dancing in conflicting realities. In the episode that I did today, earlier today, I talked about my sister and I used to co-construct meaning together. As humans, we construct our own reality. We meet, we partially by making meaning out of our experiences. Well, my sister and I, in our closeness, made meaning together. We're no longer making meaning together. And that's okay. It is actually okay. I'm not, you know, you guys hear me when I'm like, that's fine. It's fine. (laughs) I don't even feel like, I'm not even saying that's fine with this low-key resentment. No. At least not now. I'm okay that if our new reality is that we're not, we're no longer making meaning together, let's just say that and move on. And then build a world around that. But what's been happening is that we're saying one thing. We're professing one thing. And then we're ex- um, I'm experiencing something completely different from, from her. So my sister is professing closeness. But a lot of the things that she's doing is not close at all. Now, there is closeness. But if you want to talk about the 80-20 rule, let's apply that. Up until the last three to five years, 80% of our meaning making was joint and we had 20% variance. It wasn't always like that because of how we were raised by our person to be at odds with each other, to be in competition with each other. We did not have a shared experience, but I remember this clearly in 2007, which was almost seventeen years ago. 2007, my sister called me and said, "I don't want, I want us, I don't want us in our adult lives to be the way we were as children. There's no reason to do that now." And we bonded. Now I got a theory about why that didn't last. It's not the same. Those efforts that she put into us being on the same page, that's not what she's doing anymore. Now she's probably, you asked her, she's probably going to say, I am keeping us close. But it doesn't feel the same for me. But I come from a world that invalidates my feeling and what's based on the passionate discussion that we had two nights ago my sister it is positioned to take up to continue on in the work that my person did of invalidation 
I'm not going to do that. Like I said, when my dad died, I had to say this to my half-sister. There's some things when we buried him that we buried that thing. There was some, we didn't just bury my dad. We buried some dynamics, some, some uh, realities, assumptions, scripts. That's gone. I'm not entertaining that anymore. That's how I feel about my person. I would take her back in a heartbeat with my person. In a heartbeat. And if that meant all of the other scripts and stuff that, I, that came with it, I've already processed it. I take it back in a heartbeat. But she's gone now. There's no reason for some of those other things to linger. And I will not let those linger in a new relationship with my sister. But see, my sister won't be able to acknowledge that. So now it's going to be a contest of reality. Because my sister is going to dismiss it. So one of the arg- the argument that my sister and I had two days ago, or the quote-unquote passionate discussion was that my sister wants, she wants me to let some things rest. So what my sister is saying, with our person gone, my sister said, you and I can now give a new reality in the world. We don't have to live out the the reality that existed when our person was living. We can now define a new reality. We can model and tell the world what it is, who we are, how to interact with us. And I, I, yes, yes, I like it. Here's the but though. Until people adjust to this new reality... They're still interacting with me. And I'm not going to... Like I told my sister, I said, I'm very muted in this world. I have learned to keep peace with my person and her world that she's created by muting myself. Now, I mainly muted myself by staying away. Being very controlled about how I'm going to be in environments, right? You guys heard me. Last year, I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit the amount of time I spend in that world. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm not going to interact with you as an imposter. Now, I love you enough that I might spend a little bit of time with you as an imposter, but I am not going to sit down at your table and spend a lengthy amount of time in your world as an imposter. That is not going to happen. That's what I, that's what I negotiate, and that's what I've been able to do. My sister wants me to be in that world come back she wants me to come back into the world she doesn't want me to be in that world guarded she doesn't want me to be in that world over processing and over analyzing and finding fault she's like the slate is clean let's start from scratch I'm thinking how convenient of it how convenient it is for you to determine what starting over is And so you are going to dictate what starting over is. It doesn't work that way. But I understand. I understand she's tired. Uh, And I get it. And like I told her. But here's the. This is the real, real piece of it. And then I'm going to talk to. I'm going to connect it to the. What is it? The Plato rule? The Plato rule? What did I say? The 80-20 rule. And I'm going to close. Because I'm tired.
it's not just being an imposter in that extended world. What I'm, what I've had to come to terms with, it's being an imposter with my sister. I don't think it was always like that. God, I hope it it might have been, and I just was okay with it. But in my developing, in my development, in my maturation process, you guys have heard me talking about it. Me becoming the woman of my own dreams, me becoming more authentically. The more authentic I've become, the more I see myself as an imposter in that relationship. Now, in my opinion, if we love each other, then I shouldn't have to be that. I understand it's not her fault. It's not her fault that I was functioning as an imposter in that relationship with her. She didn't know. But I'm telling you now, as I'm maturing and blossom and becoming an author and being in love with myself, truly loving myself. Do you know that we live in a world that wants us to hate ourselves? Because people want you to be what they need you to be for their comfort. We're so socialized. To keep other people comfort. We don't even give ourselves permission to live it for our own comforts. And I don't know if that's a universal we. I think that that's those of us who've been marginalized. And I think there's racial marginalization, being marginalized based on gender, being marginalized based on sexual sexuality, being marginalized based on age, being marginalized based on cognitive abilities, right? Physical abilities. Like there are a number of ways to be in a margin. So it's not just race. And those of us in the, who are in the margins, for whatever reasons that we're in the margins, we aren't allowed to be our authentic selves or our healthy self or to be to be authentic and to, to do real self-care, to really like ourselves, to really like and love ourselves. Mm-mm. And baby, I've been doing away with that. I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm damn near close. And one, there are two fundamental staples in my life that have allowed me to do that. And one, I'm about, I'm outgrowing and I don't, I don't know what to do with that one. That's with my, but my therapist I started working with seven years ago. That's the work we've been doing. Getting me comfortable. Who is the authentic me? Owning that. Unapologetically. And we've done some really good work there. So good that I've outgrown that space. I've outgrown what she's able to do. And the problem that I have with her is that she, to me, and I don't understand her training, because uh, I think she should be like, oh, the work here is done. But her mind is like, well, you always have work to do. Then we just move on to the next thing. Yes, if the next thing means that you can handle me in my authentic self. But what's happened, the more I get into my authenticity, the more I hurt her or I make her uncomfortable and her feelings get in the way. And that's the problem. And so now I'm going in there, I have to make decisions on my authenticity in my blossomed self and her feeling. And then, you know, her ego doesn't want me to say that. And she's like, I'm fine. You're lying. You're not fine. You're not fine. You're not fine. And if you are, it doesn't feel like you're fine to me. (laughs) So anyway, but that was one of the staples to my wellness. And my other staple to my wellness is this project. Yes, I know you listening to me. Those of you who listen to me on a regular, you're not 
in a relationship with me. I don't know who you are, but let me tell you why you matter. It's because every week I can get on this podcast and I can speak my truth. And then there are people who listen to it. And then they come back and they share it. And I have come to learn that in my most truest self with my thoughts and the things I like to think about, there's a, there are people in the world that will receive me in my unedited, uncensored self. Oh, oh, oh my. That, that was a game changer. This project has been a game changer. I told you this story before, but I think it's relevant to say it again. One of the things I loved, one story that my therapist had given me is some work that she's done with trans individuals. Individuals that, and I don't ever, I still haven't gotten to the place where I'm saying this um, artfully. I feel what I'm about to say is going to come out clumsy because I just haven't perfected it yet. So if I say something that is offensive, I don't want to make you labor for me. But if you feel inclined to contact me and correct me, do know I would definitely receive it, okay? But in my clumsy self, this is what I'm going to say. Individuals who were born into bodies that don't resonate with them. Individuals who were born into bodies where society says the society puts a narrative to that body that doesn't speak the narratives of the person. And so this is one of the challenges that I had in terms of confronting my own transphobia. Because I know, of course I had it. I'm from the world that's transphobic. I, I'm, I'm a product of that. I'm not saying, of course, to, to take myself off the hook at all. No, I'm just saying this is the work that I have had to do. And so in the in the earlier stages of me confronting my transphobia was me saying as a feminist that if you are were born into a female body and you have more masculine tendencies I didn't like the fact that you felt like now I need a masculine body in order to embrace the, my, the, my masculine energies I'm like be a woman and embrace your masculine energy period Screw what the world thinks. The world can't tell you you got to be feminine with a female body. Who says that? Who says that because you have a female body, you've got to be feminine? If you want to be masculine in a female body, do that. So that was the feminist in me fighting that. And then it took somebody to explain to me that it was more than feminine and masculine energy. I don't fully understand it. But you know why? Because I have the privilege of not understanding because I'm not wrestling with that. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't get it. I don't, I shouldn't say I don't get it. Like, I'm not trying to be dismissive. I just, I don't fully yet understand it. Fully. But to the, this is what I do understand. Point blank period. The body that you're in doesn't feel like it's yours. Period. Okay. And that's all you need to say. Anyway, (laughs) let me get back to the point. So my therapist worked with uh, 
trans individuals is based on when they're in that room with her for 50 minutes, she responds to them as they see themselves. No matter the body that they're in, however they identify, she responds to them in that way. So that means that individual does not have to censor themselves, doesn't have to alter themselves. They can show up and, and get comfortable. And this is what our thinking is. For them to get comfortable being their most authentic self. So basically for 50 minutes a week, they're coming to practice in their practice authenticity, to be authentic and to practice it. Because when you're in the world as an imposter and doing that day to day and you're building muscle, you're building muscle around that. You don't even know what the authentic you is. And so a person comes to her and they practice being in their authentic self. And the more they practice and the more they learn who they are authentically and they get comfortable with it, that's going to eventually flow over into the physical world. So that when they're out of that therapy therapy room and they're at work or they're at school, they're at a sporting event, at the gym, wherever, and they start going back into the impostered version of themselves, they're going to be like, "Uh uh-oh, that feels different. But if you've only known yourself as an imposter, you don't know you're an imposter. If you only know water, you don't know air. You don't understand that you're in water. You, we only know functioning in air. We don't know what it's like to function any other way. So we don't, we don't have a consciousness of it. And so what she does in that room for 50 minutes of a week is she builds consciousness around two things. Authenticity and imposture impostering if you will but just building authenticity building awareness around authenticity and that's what has happened for me in the work with I that I did with her in sef- over seven years learning the authentic me or the authentic version of, of me that I want the model of me that I want and a few years after I started that work with her I started this podcast from the work, not I think because of the work I was doing with her. And all of a sudden, I become more authentic. And I'm like, it opened me up to the, the vastness of me. And now I'm in a world where I can't be that. I needed to talk it out. I, it wasn't an easy decision. But the pandemic happened. And I started a podcast. I started talking to you all. I started talking to you all in my authenticity. So now I know what it looks like for me to be authentic. So much that I know when I'm not. So the the authenticity project for me started over 10 years ago. But it's been it's been a crawl. Right? I can, you know, one day I want to write about that, the authenticity project and the crawl of it all. But I was saying the last two. So there was an intensity that happened around 10 years ago. And then there's been a whew. A thrust, an authentic, an authenticity thrust that happened two years ago, two and a half years ago, and I'm here for it. And in that authenticity thrust, I now have to confront the relationship that I've been having with my sister has been born out of was grounded in the imposter. 
the imposter her because this is what I tried to tell her she's blossoming and she's coming into her authentic authentic self will, will our authenticity be able to be in harmony together time will tell but I know one thing this will not be a fake it until you make it kind of affair it will be an acceptance. And at some point, I'm going to talk to you about the a version of my sister that I have seen since in this posthumous, posthumous state of my person. So my person has been gone a few days. And there's a different affect on my sister. Her conduct is a little different. And it's, it is striking. And although I've come, I've been coming to terms with, you guys have heard, I don't know, I think I've said it in this project. One of the ways I have been functioning with my sister is a fawning effect. I've been talking about, I'm not, I got to stop the fawning. It's not an easy thing to do when you, I've been fawning the whole fucking time. That's not fair to her. And the other thing I told her is that in order to have peace in her world, she has muted me. And she understands it. I said, I'm muted because you have asked me not to do certain things. You have asked me not to do things that are fundamental to who I am as a human being. And you've asked me not to do them to keep peace. And, and I, I have, I've done that. I've done it. My love for her. I've done it. I can do it in part in segments, but I will not make a lifetime out of it. So when it's time for us to talk about getting wiping the slate clean, and now I'm going to be in the world with our family. Now let's, well, we, yeah, we can, let's do that. Let's start over. But when we start over, I'm going to be fully here in my human self. So, and that who I am, she didn't like, she doesn't like it. I, this is what I believe and I, I can I want to be wrong but this is what I, I'm starting to come to terms with especially based on the things she said in this passionate discussion a couple of days ago when she said I was reckless she called me reckless paranoid <laughs> all because I won't show up freely around people who have been harmful Oh, you guys were harmful. Now somebody's gone. They've passed away and we're just going to start over. And all of that harm just goes away. Because what she doesn't, she doesn't agree that it's harm. Because when we used to make meaning together, she understood it as harm. But now she's bonded with some other people. And now it's not, their opinion is not harm. I've been in this fucking place. Excuse my language. I've been in this place before. 
where I have an, uh, 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 I'm in a bond with somebody, an intimacy bond, and then they are in a bond with somebody else who doesn't know me, and then their reality then gives flavor um, to my relationship with that person. This is the whole social dynamic. Go back and listen to the episode I called The Sale. It didn't receive a lot of love, but it's true. The parts of the sale really can show you how the how the sale works will show us how the social world works. And when you're in the, in a, being human means that you're a social being in a social world. You're not divorced of those, of those parts. Not at all. So that's a non-negotiable. And like I told her, I said, I said, I have been going through this process in a muted version of myself. Is that what you want me to continue to do to keep peace? It has been devastating. For me to have to function in a, it, go back to an impostured version of myself, to be liberated and to take yourself back to an earlier version where you were an imposter is devastating. And I did it in part for my person because I wanted to be with her in this journey as she fought the cancer. And I negotiated that. I will do it for her. And I didn't completely revert back. I didn't completely revert back. And in, and in some regard, and I never thought about this until now, but in some regard, my person allowed me, um, had, has made some, had made some space for the evolved me. She didn't like all of it, but there were times she said recently, I'm glad that you've been able to find and, and find your voice and find it. And it's not like I was walking in a world without my voice. That's, and I have to come back and do another episode on intimacy. It's a word that I've been really wrestling with and processing. And there was an episode I listened to from the husband and wife team. I've been listening to it on repeat this past week. It's just, I don't know why that episode has been helping me as I've been dealing with this. Dealing with my person as she has passed on. But I have listened to it almost every day. And it's about holistic versus analytical. And how each of the cognitive functions... T-E, so you have thinking, thinking is introverted and extroverted, and then when you take that split, it splits again based on holistic or analytic, analytical. And what I'm coming to, what I'm coming to terms with is that I'm an analytical person, but how I've done intimacy, um, I've learned early on that in my world, they didn't, my intimate spaces didn't want me analytical. So they, it pushed me to be holistic. That's not my authentic space. It is what I've done so much where I thought that that's how I did intimacy. I was prepared to come on this podcast and tell you all that the, I do intimacy in a holistic way. And the way I do the rest of my life analytically. And two days ago, it was like, no. I listened to Antonia talk about how she... The, the, the wife of the husband and wife team from Personality Hacker, she said that she was raised in an environment that did, that required her to be holistic. There were consequences when she was so, so much is now ingrained in her. And I was like, hmm, that's true. But for a long time, I didn't do holistic. I just avoided those people that required me to be holistic. I think I've become holistic in intimate spaces and probably, if I'm really, really honest, probably in the last five to seven years. I don't have to really spend time thinking about it. So this this quest that I've been on to define 
intimacy and to pursue it in an authentic way because I really believe that I thought my intimate self was holistic it's not not authentically but in order to survive in the world in that in the, the world that I've had to have intimacy in the world that I'm in I've had to have been reduced to being holistic and it's a loss but I've done it in my mind I did it but this is why it's uh, it's it's like walking on thin ice because I'm already taking a loss. I have no more losses to offer. So that's why the 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 if somebody says, "Well, man, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells." You probably are. Cuz guess what? I'm walking on them. You're not, you're not the only one walking on eggshells. I am. And that's the if anybody ever tells you, "I feel like I'm walking on eggshells." You flip that shit back on them and say, "As am, as am I." Because sometimes people weaponize that like you're the problem because they got to they gotta be extra careful with you. So now they're going to make you the problem because now they can't just act in a defaulted way. They can't be automated with you anymore because now you're setting boundaries. You're defining and you're protecting yourself. And people who have been able to, who've been taking advantage of you in a boundless way, the moment you put in boundaries, they say you're the problem. So... Um, that's a that's some free advice for me. <laughs> no. So as I prepare to wrap up, that's what I'm confronting with my sister. And the the energy that's been on her the last few days. And it's not it's it's an energy that I was was on her when I was in River. She left me. When the, the whole the whole episode <laughs> all dressed up with someplace that, whatever all dressed up and then discriminating harm that's it, that was the energy and then there was another time when I was in her inner space in the last six months that energy so that energy is becoming more and more pronounced so I was okay that energy is pronounced when I'm in your world but now we're in a home no we're not doing that. So, it's, you know, I can't carry the relationship. So if you want to be in a relationship with me, you're going to have to be willing to come and we're going to have to meet it. We have to meet in the middle and make some meaning together. Now, let's talk about her inviting me to come and, to, 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 to come and be with her for a few months. And I love that. So this is why she wants to do it. She feels that, and it's, I, I agree with this, for both of us, we're both going through the motions trying to take care of the affairs of my person. And that when that stops, and now we have to resume being in the world, a new world without our person, she feels it is going to be devastating for me. And she doesn't want me to go through that alone. Isn't that awesome? That she loves me. She doesn't want me to go through that alone. And I would love to be in the space with her. And she said she told my nieces and she said one of them said that's a good idea. They know that I don't need to be here. They they you know that is going to be one hell of an undertaking to establish a, a, myself in a new world without my person in it anymore. It's un it is un imaginable to think about that and I'm not I'm just not I'm not I'm not yet I've not yet dealt with it 
And I think early in the reflection, either this one or the other one, I talked about this vault where the emotions are in this vault. And we had to go pick out the cemetery. And we had to learn about what kind of burial, like what kind of vault to put her in to protect her from the water underground. That's a god-awful conversation to have. I don't even want to think about the word vault anymore when I say all my emotions are trapped into a vault until the, you take the lid off a little bit and then it comes out. But it's going to be a new world. And it's going to come crashing hard because we're taking care of business. But when it slows down, it's going to hit. Excuse, excuse my language. It's going to hit like a bitch. So, I think that's valid. That, that invitation was valid. It's a valid invitation. And I want to go. But I don't want to go as an imposter. And to make that connect to the 80-20 rule is this. I let's rewind up until the last two weeks. I've been talking about design living, building my docking station, my ground zero, building a life, designing my life, designing a life I want, designing. I've been on this mission for a year and I'm dedicated to it. And I know I got to calibrate it now with the loss of my person. I know that, but I'm still very much committed to design living. I also know, and it sounds shitty to say, but I also know that there are going to be some barriers to that existed for design living that are now gone. The barriers, some of the barriers were associated with my person and with her being gone, some of those barriers are gone, but I'll take her back in a minute with those barriers. I would, it was, that's never, that has never been the question. Cause if anything, I just take, excuse my, again, I'm going to curse if anything, I'm taking my ass and I can go somewhere. Nobody should, nobody. I had a friend of mine who was in this God awful relationship and the guy got shot and he died. And so my, my friend made meaning out of it said, well, he had to die because I wasn't, I couldn't break up with him. Are you, do you understand how crazy that sounds? Oh, because you didn't have the, the, the fortitude to do what you needed to do. God took somebody's life away. That's baloney. No, no, no. Mm -mm. That's an an unintended consequence of this whole thing. The unintended consequence of her leaving is that some of these barriers are now have been removed. So what am I going to do? Go jump and put myself in some uh, new barriers with my sister now? No. Mm -mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So if I thought I could have this conversation with my sister... I would, but part of this new horror is she doesn't want to do any processing. Oh, God. And what I'm trying to remember, and I'm being mindful of it, she's a censor. And I'm not saying censors, I'm not saying censors don't process, but they're not intuitives. And intuitives live in the meaning making. We live in the philosophical realm. And that's, she's tolerated that for me. And that's what she means, reckless. See, this is what makes me think my dad was a um, an ISTJ because I vacillate between calling him an ISTJ and an INTJ. But the way my sister talked a few days ago and her frustration with me was very similar to him. 
You, you want to process things that don't have solutions. I want to just talk about solutions. Well, first of all, that's a lie because you're living in situations that are, that don't have solutions. But for whatever reason, you're trying to reduce me to a problem that can be solved. You're trying to strip me from the complexities of being human. I don't, I didn't sign up for that. And I'm like, nope, that's not what we're going to do. So if my processing is overwhelming with you, then we don't have to do that. Said, but what, and that's what I told her. I said, but what you need to know is that my processing with you is my love language. That's intimacy for you, for me. So if you no longer want to have that kind of intimacy for, with me because it's stressful to you, we can solve that easily. I don't have to do it. I said, I do have other people I can do that with. That's, that's easy. I just thought that we were doing, we were meaning makers together. But if we're not, we're not. So the 80-20 rule, as I close, the 80-20 rule for me is about the rule of what's going to help me to be at design living. Is 20% of that about, 20% of that about, I'm pausing because it was a car that, anyway. I'm not, you know, you guys know I'm in, I'm outdoors and I'm watching my surroundings. And so something just happened that required me to pay attention to it. So (sighs) anywho, make sure my doors are locked. Um, (laughs) is, is the 80, so the 80, 20 rule is about this. 20% of your input produces 80% of your outputs. It's not a one-to-one relationship. It's not 20 to 20, and it's not 80 to 80. 20% of your efforts have 80% consequence in your life. So as I move forward and try to build this life with my person, uh, with my person being gone and continue on in my path of design living, I need to be mindful that 20% of my efforts are going to pursue 80% of the results. So I now need to pre-regard, I need to hold sacred 20%. I need to find out the 20% that's most important and hold it sacred because it's going to produce 80% of my results. And the question that I'm front confronting is, is it going to a different city? Even if it's just for a few months to help me to gain perspective? Is that the 20% that I need to hold sacred? Or is that 20, going to a different city going to reposition me as an imposter? And then that's going to produce 80% of impostorship, if you will. That's the question. And so as I end this reflection, I don't have an answer. I don't. I do not have an answer. I don't. But what I, I'm really excited is that I have the question. That's the question. I didn't have that question when I started. What is the 20% that I'm going to hold sacred? And I need to own it. Because that 20% is going to produce 80% of those results. I need to decide what's the 20%. Is the 20% gaining a new perspective? Or is the 20% staying in the city in a place where I've been building my authentic self. But it's an authentic self that doesn't have social. You guys, I just need you to hold on to that. 
Now, could it, is the social coming? Yeah, I'd like to believe it. But going into where my, into the region where my sister is could catapult me into the social that I really want. It's the social that I'm, I'm struggling with right now. And I've been talking about that. So I'm, I'm excited to even say that this is what this is, this question is about. Is my next 20, is the 20%, is the sacredness of 20% about the social? Is the sacredness about authenticity? Damn, I would like to say it's both, right? And maybe it is. And, and it is about grieving. So a, a friend of mine was like, you're going to have to grieve it either way, whether you stay home or you go with your sister, you're going to have to do it. Yeah, but I don't, I'm tired of having to be superhuman. It would be nice to do it. I don't know if I need to do it all at alone right now. I don't know if I need to do that because I don't have the social to do it with yet here. So do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, well, that's the question. Is it? A, it's about authentic, authenticity. It's about social. It's about grief. And so that invitation is really about responding to that invitation. Is really about me deciding what I what do I want the eighty percent to be. And based on that eighty percent, I need to position myself within twenty percent and keep it sacred. That is the question. Now, if I can do that in another region, I'm going. Then it will be a hell yes, because it's not a permanent departure. It's not, I'm not, I'm not trying to move. But I would love to get, to gain a fresh perspective as I, as I think about how to calibrate my life in this new reality. I don't know if my sister and I can handle the authentic me or the authentic her. And that is a conversation I'm going to need to have with her. And I think I'll be better positioned to have that conversation with her because of what I've processed in this reflection. So I will definitely keep you guys posted. The 80-20 rule. How do you say it? Pareto, the Pareto rule. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart or a thumbs up or a like. If this conversation about 80-20, about authenticity, about being an imposter, about calibrating, about being you in the world, about practicing who you are, if any of this relates to a conversation you've had with other people, please take this link and share it with those individuals. Share it with people who get it. Do not share my podcast with people who are like, what the hell? Don't do that. Unless you guys want to laugh and talk about me, then do what you got to do. But share this podcast with people that you would say, man, we were just talking about this. This lady I follow on the podcast land, she talked about it. I want to share this link with you. Fast forward to this part of the episode. Do that for me. Connect me up with, connect me to people who will get it. Show me some love that way. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yurinidom.wordpress.com. Twitter, urinidom, or the X formerly known as Twitter, uh, urinidom1, YouTube, and Facebook. Urinidom. Daniel TJ John responded to me. I did a post because he did an episode on 
feelings, I think. Something about feelings. I can't remember what it was about. And I said, this was, I told him that my person was in the actively dying and how, how, uh, what's the word? How comforting his episode was about feelings. And he responded something to the effect of, feel all the feelings, feel them. Don't deny them, feel them all. Because they don't allow, we're not allowed to feel. We don't give ourselves permission to feel. But in a healthy version of ourselves, we do need to. And he's, a, as a fellow INTJ, I really appreciate him con, uh, affirming me in that. And so that was nice. <laughs> um, let me give you your assignment. Hold on. I need to play around here with the question because I, I don't have the exact wording of the question because I, I think I still need to process something. So let me let me backtrack a little bit and, and try to process this with you. What I wanted to ask you is, what's 80% of your life that you want to change? Because if you know 80, then if what that 80% now is going to connect you to 20% of an action you need to take. In order to determine that 20%, you need to know the 80%. And that's if you, that's if you subscribe to what's called design, backwards design thinking. Start with the end in mind. I'm a little hesitant to say that because you might be listening to me like, I'm, I don't need to change 80% of my life. That's a major shift. So then it made me think, do I need to change 80% of my life? What percentage of my life am I trying to change? So maybe isn't maybe it's not about 80% of my life. Maybe it's about what is it that I'm trying to change and then 80% of that change is going to come from 20% of my efforts. That's a better way of saying. So let me give the assignment to you now. What's something in your life that you're, that you're trying to change that you want to be different? And you think about all of the things that you could do to make it different. What's the 20, what's 20 percent of that that's most essential? And lock that in and hold it sacred. Again, what's something in your life that you want to change? What are all the things that you need to do to make the change? And from all the things that you need to do, pick 20 percent of that that will have the greatest impact. And lock it in. And hold it sacred. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's what I'm definitely going to be thinking about. I'm going to be back. <laughs> but that's where I'm at for, for now. So you guys continue to hold me up as I, you know, we go through the process of um, finalizing the funeral arrangements for our person. People are coming around. There's a lot of socials, a lot of people. For me, that's hard because I'm not my best self when I'm overextended socially. But at the same time, what I'm learning is that I've been going away and it's hurting people because they want to they want to make sure I'm OK. And so I'm overextended and it, 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 all the energy I need to take care of myself physically, like doing basic hygiene things, takes energy from me. And if all of that energy is expended, then I'm not taking care of myself. So I have to. It's a thing I'm trying to balance. So you guys continue to hold me up in uh, positive energy continue to just knowing that you're here makes me feel good makes me feel better and I appreciate you you guys it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back be well bye <laughs>